The Guardian. Hello, I'm Peter Beaumont and welcome to the Focus podcast from The Guardian. This week we'll be discussing this Sunday's crucial referendum in Sudan over whether the oil-rich South should break away and what its consequences will be for the North. President Omar al-Bashir has said he will support the new country, but what does that mean in practical terms? And will the process of dividing Africa's largest state create the conditions for future conflict? Already, 800,000 southerners have returned from the north in anticipation of the decision, and some of them who remain in the north say they fear for their security. They will harass us after the secession because this government says something and does other things. I'm sure there will be harassment against the southerners living in the north, and that's why many voluntarily return back to the south. I expected a lot of problems, especially under this regime. They'll fire us from the governmental jobs. For me, personally, I was appointed because southerners should get 20% of the governmental jobs. And when the secession happens, I'll lose my job. Joining me today is the media councillor from the Sudanese embassy, Dr Khalid al-Mubarak, Gillian Lusk from Africa Confidential, and Joran Janssen from Médecins Sans Frontières, who's worked extensively in southern Sudan. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. The result seems to be a foregone conclusion. The South will vote against unity. Why does the South want independence, Gillian? Well, this is a long story. It goes back, um, depending on how you look at it, you could take it back for centuries, or you can take it back um, to colonial times, or you can take it back to the rise of the, the current government, um, which took power in 1989. Um, Southerners have felt for a long time, in, in general, uh, that they were treated as second-class citizens at the very least, or even third-class citizens, they say. And a lot of them are seeing this as a kind of liberation from colonial power. And what's the position of the government in Khartoum to uh, the vote on Sunday, uh, Khalid? The position is that peace is paramount and that the country has spent 39 years in civil wars and that peace has to be achieved even if the price is the risk of secession. So that's why the, the government, President Bashir, has declared that uh, uh, would like to establish peace and that if the South chooses uh, secession, we'll accept that and we'll help the South. Actually, uh, the Assessment and Evaluation Commission headed by Sir Derek Plumley has praised President Bashir and uh, his vi- first Vice President Salva Kiir Miardet. And uh, the United Nations has said that uh, the South is uh, ready for the referendum. All over, there is optimism that the process will go peacefully. But to say that uh, why the southerners uh, are choosing, as far as this government is concerned, uh, there, is, there was an interim constitution which stated that Sudan is a multicultural, multi-religious, multi-racial country. That's why what uh, my what Gillian Lesk uh, said about uh, citizen, third status citizen or second status citizen is not uh, exactly true. Johan, I mean, you've worked for a long time in the South. I mean, perhaps you can describe what, what life's like at the moment. Johan, you've, you've worked extensively in the South. Uh, I mean, Gillian's already talked about uh, the decades of conflict and marginalisation. I mean, perhaps you can describe what life is like. I would, would be going too far if I can say exactly how life is like, but what we see as MSF is that is the 
still uh, huge humanitarian need there among the population, certainly if it comes to the medical and health aspects, as the health system is just not functioning in a, on a level where it can serve all the people that are there now, but certainly also those are returning to South Sudan. And there's, I mean, perhaps you can describe the infrastructure as well. Um, well, yeah, we, we, the infrastructure is also difficult for us. There is, there's the roads the, are hardly there. The, the hospitals are in need of, of, of the most basic things. And so on this point, there is just not enough to support uh, on a medical level because that's what we are interested in and that's what we uh, focus on. Not enough to, to um, support the population that is there. Now, Gillian, I mean, clearly a vote for independence would have consequences for the South, but it's going to have consequences for the North as well. I mean, perhaps you could describe the, uh, the potential consequences in the North of the country. Well, it's interesting to see that um, the, you know, the coming referendum, which begins on, uh, on Sunday, um, you know, seems to have stirred up quite a lot of feeling in the Northern opposition, which has been, is very large, very powerful, but has been very dormant for the last few years partly because of uh, the government, you know, uh, suppresses it very strongly, but also because of its own divisions. Um, some people have been co-opted by the government and so on, the usual things. So now suddenly the northern opposition has started refinding its voice. Um, there's a demonstration, for example, promised for the 16th of, uh, of January, but in Khartoum, but also in London and, and presumably other places. And um, the prime minister that the present government overthrew, Asad al-Mahdi, has said, you know, it's time to remove the government. Um, so that's quite an interesting development. Uh, Khaled, I mean, it's been said that the, one of the expectations about the consequences for the north is that Arabic will be the, the single language and that uh, Sharia law will be, will, will be much more widely imposed because there will be two countries and there will no longer be the necessity for the, for, for the multicultural constitution. Is that how you expect things to happen? There's nothing new in that because in the, the Comprehensive Peace Agreement has uh, quite clearly stipulated that uh, Sharia law will not apply in the south but that the north... Uh, is uh, free to apply Sharia law. So there's nothing new in that. The, uh, the, uh, what Gillian uh, Lesk said about Sadiq al-Mahdi, Sadiq al-Mahdi was prime minister and he did not uh, sign a peace treaty to, to restore stability and peace to the country. The opposition is largely discredited. We had elections in April. They did not register for the elections. Many of them withdrew from the elections and uh, shot themselves uh, in the foot. So for, to say that the opposition is now moving, maybe, but this is wishful thinking. Thabo Mbeki, the day before yesterday, had a long lecture uh, addressing students in Khartoum, and he praised uh, uh, President Bashir and Salva Kermiyardet and said there are some people who spread communication saying that uh, the government will not honor uh, the, its uh, commitments and the, com the uh, referendum will not take place. And he said, these people do not know Sudan. Now, Gillian, uh, I mean, clearly there is a, another aspect to this. I mean, what do you think the implications are going to be for, for the conflict in Darfur from uh, southern secession? 
Well, what uh, I talked to a lot of Sudanese from all over the country, and um, what the ones from Darfur and elsewhere are saying, you know, and including from the south, they expect the government now to, in Khartoum to clamp down even more strongly in Darfur. And in fact, President Omer the other day said, you know, we will deal with them now. Um, the government has pulled out of its peace initiative uh, in Qatar, the Doha Peace Initiative, and said, you know, um, the uh, the armed opposition in in uh, indeed the opposition in general in Darfur doesn't want to talk. So now we will go and deal with them. I mean that was the phrase used, deal with. So it, that was widely understood to mean militarily, of course. I mean, Khalid, do you agree with that? I mean, do you, do you think there well, is going to be... This is simply not true. The government has not withdrawn from the negotiations. The delegation returned to Khartoum and said that we'll Dr. Ghazi Salahaddin, who is responsible for this portfolio, said we'll continue uh, uh, because the, the, uh, those uh, mediating in Doha have made certain suggestions and they were waiting for the, uh, the rebels and the government. And he said, we will continue. And he said, our return to Khartoum does not mean that we are withdrawing from... He said, the, we will uh, reactivate the internal uh, mechanisms among the people, among the civil society. And this is a strategy which uh, is agreed with the international community also, with the... With the uh, uh, many uh, those concerned uh, with the Darfur question. Johan, you've already described what the state of infrastructure and health is in the South uh, after, after all these decades of, of conflict. I mean, do you think the South is ready to stand on its own as an independent country, or do you think it's going to need substantial outside help? I think <coughs> that would be more a political question, and I think as an impartial, neutral organisation, we, we don't have any position on that. But in terms of health, I mean, the things that you do do. In terms with. of health, what we see at this point, that is the only thing we can uh, judge. And there we see that it's not ready, because certainly also now with the returnees returning and coming into South Sudan, what we see is that there is just not sufficient health care and the level of health care is not sufficient. I, I wanted to talk about what the potential um, problem areas are likely to be. I mean, which which seem to be the issue of, of where the new borders are likely to be drawn and demarcated and oil. I mean, Khalid, I mean, how, how do you think the new borders will be drawn if the South votes to secede? Well, there is a commission which has worked in Khartoum, which has also come here to London to look at the all sorts of archives. And uh, about 80% of the border has already been demarcated. And uh, the rest, 20%, President Bashir has said uh, that before July... The rest will be uh, uh, completed. And also, of course, the other questions uh, relevant, for example, the division of, uh, of oil, very good developments there because the, the vice president, uh, Sheikh Al-Osman Mohammed Taha, and uh, Dr. Riek Mashar the, uh, from, from the south have agreed to protect the oil wells, uh, to protect the uh, production and uh, uh, the pipeline also. And this is very good because both sides, this is one of the things which uh, augur well for the future. Both sides need uh, uh, the oil and need stability for the sake of the oil. Uh, the north, of course, will uh, suffer uh, financially. And uh, already some uh, measures have been taken to uh, deal with that. And Gillian, I mean, do you think that the final border is going to be a source of potential future dispute? 
Certainly, yes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And of course, it's already a dispute in Abye. Abye was supposed to hold a referendum. Um, this is the area, sorry, on, on the border between the north and the south, but which belongs to the north at the moment. And it was supposed to have a referendum on Sunday, simultaneously with the southern one, to vote on whether the, uh, the Dinkangok, who are the main inhabitants of Abye, wanted to join the south or stay with the north. And uh, the government has systematically blocked this uh, referendum, so it's not taking place now. People are, you know, acting as if it, it was never happened, but it's all in the comprehensive peace agreement of 2005. And uh, people in Abyei are very, very fed up, according to the latest news reports today. I mean, there's another question as well. I mean, some of the northern pastoralists are used to travelling across what will be the new border or what may be the mm -hmm. new border. Yes. I mean, is that likely to be a, a source of uh, local conflict as well? It shouldn't be in itself because, on, on the one hand, there have always been traditional means of dealing with these conflicts, and it's all included in a document called the Abye Protocol, which was signed in 2004 and was then incorporated into the, the general peace agreement, the comprehensive peace agreement, in 2005. And, you know, this says that the uh, Musaria nomads will be, or pastoralists rather, will be able to, you know, move freely into Abye if it joins the South with no problems. However, now um, some some uh, of the Masseria, not all of them by any means, you know, they say they're very fed up actually, but uh, some of them have been stirred up by the government to demand that they also have the right to vote, which was not included in the original document, it's very clear. I mean, can I ask you to respond on that issue about uh, Abia and what's the, the, the fact that the referendum is not actually going to be taking place in Abia? Uh, it's not going to be taking place in Abia because uh, the... Uh, SPLM, SPLA, say that the Miseria have no right to vote. The Miseria have been there for centuries. They don't just come uh, passing by. They have been there for centuries, and they have lived in peace, peaceful coexistence with the Dinka in the area for centuries. And uh, they, ha they have uh, the right to a share of the money from uh, from oil has been accepted the right to a share in administration has been accepted but their human right of voting uh, in a referendum has not been accepted and this is an anomaly it's uh, uh, not uh, very logical and they have not been mentioned in the protocol which uh, Gillian Lusk has referred to because they are already in the north. The Dinka were mentioned because they uh, were from the south. But these are in the north, so no need to mention them. The Dinka from the north and not in the south. That's the whole point. I mean, Jeroen, can I, can I take you back in here to ask you about yes. the kind of social and health problems that you see? I mean, what are the biggest problems that you see in the south at the moment in the run-up to the referendum? In the last uh, couple of months, in the end of this year, for instance, we've seen a lot of Kala Azar, although I just got in that we seem to be over the peak of the epidemic, but um, there's still potential for that to rise again, certainly with uh, people returning to South Sudan as they are not used to Kala Azar and they're more uh, vulnerable to, to this disease. So that's one of the things, but also, of course, the potential, what other people uh, analyze as, as the potential conflict and, and violence. We also prepare for that through uh, emergency preparedness, and we also see there things that could happen. And that, of course, also has health implications. And what's, and, the, what's oh, the food security situation? Um, well, big parts of, of Sudan are uh, have something known as, as the hunger gap, where... Uh, 
every year around the same time there is this uh, period where there is just not enough food and uh, certainly in in South Sudan we see the same thing and so we, we have nutritional programs that uh, react to that. The biggest issue is going to be oil. I mean some seven billion dollars have been uh, repatriated since the agreement in 2005. In the south they say that they haven't seen enough of the oil money. Julian, I mean is that true? It seems to be true from the figures that um, various organisations involved in that kind of work, particularly Global Witness, have written very detailed reports on this. And so it's not only the southern government which uh, says that, which it does. It says, you know, it's not getting the full amount of oil. It's getting more than it did a year ago, but it's not getting its full share from Khartoum. And, of course, uh, the southern government's in a position where it doesn't want to cause too much trouble because it wants, it doesn't want the... Um, the Khartoum government to, to block the referendum, which there were signs a few months ago that it was likely to do. Harley, I mean, how do you respond to that? Is the South getting its full share of the oil revenues? The South is getting its full share of oil revenues, and uh, now the minister is Southerner, so he has got all the books in front of him, and he can make sure of, uh, of everything. As far as Global Witness uh, is concerned, Global Witness visited us at the embassy after writing their report, and then they said they would like to go to Sudan. And we asked them one question. Why didn't you go first to Sudan before writing your uh, report? And they had no answer for that. Also, uh, I believe uh, that they tried. many people have uh, written that uh, there was a lot of, for example, one, one southern minister, Nial Ding Nial, uh, said in the, the American Congress, invited to, to, to give information that there was a lot of corruption and that many of the past uh, freedom fighters uh, uh, have actually uh, put, taken uh, government money. A final question to you all. I mean, uh, how do you see uh, the, the chances to a peaceful transition? Can I, can I perhaps ask you that first, Jeroen? As MSF, again, as, as an impartial neutral organization, we don't have a clear um, opinion or, and we are not in a position to have, a, to have an opinion on, on, on that, on how far it will be peaceful. But we are preparing for the fact that there will be more violence as Others have predicted this, and we would like to be ready for that uh, humanitarian need that is uh, related to that. We want to be ready for that and help these people. Khalid? I expect, we expect uh, things to go reasonably smoothly because both uh, President Bashir and uh, uh, his first deputy, Salva Kermiardet, have agreed not to, not to shelter any... Uh, groups trying to destabilize the other part of, uh, of, of Sudan. This is very important. And uh, maybe there is some uh, lack of discipline among the uh, southern forces because uh, they were not, uh, uh, in military terms, uh, properly trained at the beginning. The Americans have tried, uh, the British have tried, and let us hope that the new training will uh, pay and that uh, they, will, uh, they will be disciplined along uh, the border and also that the politicians will not use animosity to the north in order to uh, cause uh, cohesion internally. I, just before coming here, I read a very good piece of news that uh, one southern rebel against the southern government, uh, General Athor, has signed a peace uh, uh, ceasefire 
with the southern government, and that's very good news. It means that the referendum will go without not being challenged in an important part uh, of the South. Uh, having said that, uh, the South is going to face many difficulties, but and will need uh, help uh, from the North and from the international community. President Bashir has said that as far as the North is concerned, we'll extend the hand of help if asked and if needed. Gillian, can Africa's largest state split peacefully? Well, we certainly hope so. I mean, it's very good news to hear that the Khartoum government is pleased that General Ator has signed an agreement with the with the southern government, a peace agreement, because, uh, you know, that southern government had accused Khartoum of, of backing his rebellion. So it's very good to hear that they're pleased about that now and have obviously changed their position fundamentally. Um, all we can say is, I think, that a lot of people in the South, I don't just mean the SPLM or the government, but also the sort of people who don't easily speak out, such as Sudanese church people, are um, you know, are worried that there will be trouble from Khartoum. There is also the, the problem potentially of trouble within the South, of ethnic conflict or of indiscipline. All that kind of thing is there. But at the moment, I would certainly have confidence in the Southerners to carry this forward because they are so keen for it to succeed. Well, that's all we've got time for in this week's Focus podcast. My thanks to Dr. Khaled Al-Mubarak, Gillian Lusk and Yarun Janssen. I'm Peter Beaumont. The producer of this podcast was Peter Sale. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.